And he will appear soon. Um, okay. So we're going to go through a lot of scriptures today. So hopefully you brought um, that pen that like is good on ink, not the one that you have to like. That's so frustrating to me whenever I'm like in, in service and I'm taking notes and it's like, oh no, I brought the wrong pen. It's not the one where my ink flows, but anyway, you don't have to worry about that. Uh, let's pray again. Lord, fill us with your spirit anew. God, I pray um, you would just fill me, um, God, to rightly divide your word. I know there can be so much confusion and uh, discussion and unnecessary arguments, Lord, when it comes to uh, the promise of your return, Lord. So I just pray that you would open our hearts, open our eyes to see your word clearly, Lord, that we wouldn't... Um, Think about using your scripture as a weapon to cut down our other brothers and sisters who disagree with us, Lord, but that um, it would be that double-edged sword that can cut through our hearts and discern our spirit and reveal our motives, God. Uh, so, Lord, if there's anything in uh, what we think that's off, Lord, that you would correct us. And, Lord, if we do have a brother or sister that does have a speck in their eye, Lord, that you would show us how to lovingly um, help them remove it, Lord. It's in your name that I pray. Amen. Amen. So I was thinking a little bit about the introduction to our questions uh, for this lesson and that idea of like uh, wordplay and uh, a double meaning in, in God's holiness, that he is holy, and then in the same time that he calls us to be holy, and just that twofold ministry. And so I started to think about other twofold ministries, right? Uh, so one that is often expressed uh, as two sides of the same coin is mercy and grace, right? When we hear a teaching on mercy or hear uh, an example of grace, a lot of times those two are spoken of in unison, right? So it's almost like they're the same coin and you have these two sides. Mercy is not getting what we deserve. Grace is now receiving something that, uh, mercy is not getting what we deserve. Grace is getting something we don't deserve, right? So that was one example. Another twofold ministry example is love and truth, right? This, this way that Jesus was able to, in perfect love, minister to the broken, um, the most sinful, of characters, right, throughout the New Testament, and yet he never compromised on the truth. He always did those things that pleased the Father. Uh, you know, the accusations that they came to him with never stuck, right, as far as like, oh, this guy, he, he drinks with and he hangs out with this people. Notice it was never said that he was one of those sinners, right? It was always very clear where he stood in truth, and yet he was so loving, so in the same idea that many ministries, many um, examples in scripture are these twofold ministries, the Lord in Old Testament prophecies talks about two comings, right? His first coming and his second coming. His first coming happened over 2,000 years ago in Bethlehem, right? And that had its own fulfillment of prophecies when you think of, you know, the virgin birth and Bethlehem and riding on a donkey, all these different prophecies that old, the Old Testament speaks of that were fulfilled in his first coming. But ladies, the Old Testament and the New Testament 
also speak of a second coming. And much like the Bible in the Old Testament speaks of a two part of his coming, his second coming is also split up into two parts, right? We have the rapture, which we'll talk about more next lesson. And then we have when he establishes his kingdom. And that's what we're gonna look at today, our king of glory who is coming to establish an everlasting kingdom. So if you're there in Daniel chapter seven, we'll pick up in verse nine. And again, this is an Old Testament prophecy regarding the second coming of Christ, specifically the second part of his second coming where he's going to establish his eternal kingdom. Daniel says in verse nine, I watched till thrones were put in place and the ancient of days was seated. His garment was white as snow and the hair of his head was like pure wool. His throne was a fiery flame. Its wheels a burning fire, a fiery stream issued and came forth from before him. A thousand thousands ministered to him 10,000 times 10,000 stood before him. In other words, more than Daniel could count. The court was seated and the books were open. Verse 11, I watched then because of the sound of the pompous words which the horn was speaking. I watched till the beast was slain and its body destroyed and given to the burning flame. This is speaking of the devil and the antichrist. As for the rest of the beasts, they had their dominion taken away, yet their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. Verse 13, I was watching in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. Then to him, the one who was like the Son of Man, to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom, the one which shall not be destroyed. And ladies, this is the kingdom that if you've received Jesus as your savior, if you've surrendered your life to him as Lord, you and I, we get to be a part of this kingdom, this everlasting dominion, which shall never be destroyed, which shall be established in righteousness and in those twofold ministries that we talked about before, mercy and grace and love and truth. And no one will be able to take his kingdom away. So as we look forward to this kingdom, it's often described in Again, just these twofold ideas. So the different points that we're gonna look at tonight are gonna be these, um, these pairs that describe that everlasting kingdom. So one of the things that's associated with this everlasting kingdom, which is a twofold ministry, is the idea of reward and judgment. Reward and judgment. So when we look to that second coming, to when Jesus establishes his kingdom, there's a lot of verses that talk about reward, and there's the same amount of verses, or maybe even more, that talk about the fact that he's bringing judgment. One of the verses um, that discuss this idea of reward, we have time to go there. It's in the New Testament, Matthew, that first uh, gospel in the New Testament. Matthew chapter 16, verse 24. 
Matthew chapter 16, 24, and we'll read through verse 27. Then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Verse 25, for whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what profit is it to a man or woman if she gains the whole world and loses her own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? Verse 27, this is our key verse. For the Son of Man will come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and then he will reward each according to his works. Right? So this idea of Christ coming, right, and we've given up so much to follow him, our identity, our life. We've denied ourselves. We've taken up our cross. We've followed him. We've made it our mission to do whatever he asks. And in and of itself, that's rewarding because that's why we were created. That's our purpose. And yet he promises in his second coming, in his kingdom, to come with a reward. What a blessing that as he tells his disciples, look, it's going to cost you everything to follow me. He tells them, but I'm coming back and I will come with a reward. At the same time that those who have followed him will receive a reward, those that have rejected him will receive judgment. And you could write down 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. 2 Timothy 4, 1. Um, it says, I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. So again, he's coming with judgment. And we'll look at more verses later on that talks about everyone who's rejected Christ is going to receive the full consequences of that rejection. All the sin, all the brokenness, everything that's wrong in the world is going to be put right. There will be that final judgment. Another aspect of his kingdom uh, that is twofold is this idea of refreshing times as well as times of restoration, right? So we talked about that judgment. We talked about this idea of, of things that are finally going to receive the recompense that they deserved. And again, there will be times of refreshing that's associated with the day of the Lord and his second coming, as well as restoration. Once things have been broken down, the Lord will restore. For this, we can turn to Acts. So this is a couple of books towards the back of your Bible, if you're still there in Matthew. Acts chapter 3. And here, Peter is encouraging these men and women who have witnessed them receiving the gift of the Holy Spirit. He's encouraging these Jews, these believers from all around the world to surrender their lives. Starting in verse 19, he says, Repent, therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send Jesus Christ, who was preached to you before. Verse 21, Whom heaven must receive until the times of restoration of all things, which God has spoken by the mouth of all his holy prophets since the world began, right? All of creation, we see verses, all of creation is looking forward to the second coming. It's not just us as believers, but all of nature, all of creation is longing for the Lord to make things right, to make things back to the way they were before sin entered. And that's going to be a time of refreshing and restoration that we can all look forward to. 
Another twofold aspect of this establishing of his kingdom is that he's coming with the angels and he's also coming with the saints. Hey, that's us. We get to come with him. First Thessalonians 3.13 tells us, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. We get to come with the Lord um, to establish his kingdom. We'll talk about next week what it means to be taken up with him and why some of the saints are returning with him um, when we look at the rapture. But there's this twofold ministry that he's coming with the saints and with the angels. That was 1 Thessalonians 3.13. Then in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 7, here Paul is encouraging the saints who are facing persecution that when the Lord Jesus Christ is revealed from heaven, he's coming with his mighty angels. Again, that's 2 Thessalonians 1.7. So he's coming with his angels. He's coming with his saints. He's coming with all of us to restore and establish his kingdom. Another twofold aspect of establishing his kingdom is that he will defeat Satan and he will defeat the Antichrist. Another aspect of this twofold uh, coming, right, his second coming when he's establishing his kingdom is this idea of a white throne judgment as well as a bema seat judgment, right? So there's a white throne judgment where, uh, similar to what we read in Daniel, the Lord is going to have a book of life and it's going to be for those that have rejected him to reap their everlasting damnation. And yet those that have already accepted him will be before the bema seat. And that's where the Lord is going to look at the motivation behind our works to see whether it was wood or hay or stubble or precious stones. And the references for that are Revelations chapter 20, verse 11, Revelation 20, 11, and then 2 Corinthians 5, 10. Where again, we see this twofold judgment of the white throne and the bema seat. So maybe you're thinking, okay, Alicia, that's great, but that's far away future, right? Second coming of the Lord, twofold ministry, that's great. What about today, right? What about where we find ourselves now? Well, it's interesting to me that not only is the second coming of the Lord twofold, not only are there many aspects of him establishing his kingdom that are twofold, but the response to the king of glory can also be twofold in our hearts, right? And scripture even speaks about it. So now we're going to look at our responses to the coming of the king of glory and how it could be twofold in our heart as well. But I pray that we would choose the better part, that we would be single-minded and single-hearted when it comes to anticipating the return of our king. One twofold aspect of our response to the king of glory is the difference between fearing and watching. Fearing and watching. We could either be filled with fear and dread that things are going to get worse, right? That the world is coming to an end. Or, in obedience, we could be watching, waiting, anticipating his return. Joel 2, verse 11, talks about the day of the Lord, which throughout scripture is another term for his second coming. The day of the Lord, the day of the Lord, the day of the Lord. Um, it's not to mean like one 24-hour period, but more so that, that chapter, that final chapter in human history. Joel 2.11 mentions that this day of the Lord is great 
and very terrible. Who can endure it? So that's enough to make a heart fearful unless we are watching, right? Why is that day sometimes described as terrible and dreadful? Well, because for those who don't know him, it is going to be terrible and dreadful. But for us that are set apart, knowing that we are returning with him to establish his kingdom, we don't need to be afraid, right? We don't need to dread this. We need to be watching for it, which in Luke 12, when he ends that parable there in verse 37, he says, blessed are those servants, Luke 12, 37, whom the master, when he comes, will find watching. Assuredly, I say to you that he will gird himself and have them sit down to eat and will come and serve them. Ladies, we need to be watching, right? Being on guard, protecting our homes, our families, our hearts from just the influences of the world, the things that are trying to stir up fear because time is so short and things that matter are not these, these temporary situations. It's the eternal. And what I love about the Lord, that even when it's things that don't matter in the light of eternity, he still cares for you. So why not give him that burden, right? Why not give him the temporary? You've already trusted him with the most important thing, your soul, right? Your eternity is already secure. And you already believe that heaven is awaiting you, even though you've never seen it. You already know that Jesus died on the cross for your sins, even though you weren't there historically to witness it. You were able to trust him with the biggest decision of your life. How much more can you be convinced that he cares about these little things? these little issues, right? Or sometimes bigger issues, but the fact that he cares, we don't need to be fearful, we need to be watching. Another twofold response to the coming of our King of Glory is either scoffing or preparing the way of the Lord, right? So we could either be scoffing or preparing the way of the Lord. What's interesting is that in Christ's first coming, there were scoffers right? Like, that's not new. I feel like that's just been around as long as humans and people are around. Like, it's just our response to things. We don't understand it, we scoff. We don't like it, we scoff. Like, it's just easy for us to make fun of things. I think that's why, like, memes are such a popular thing, because it's just scoffing at the whole world around us, right? So that's one possible response. And Jesus even rebukes his generation for scoffing, right? He says, John the Baptist came one way, and you scoffed at him, I came the another way, you scoffed at me, like nothing's going to make you guys happy, right? And yet wisdom is justified by all her children. Um, that reference is in Luke 7, verses 31 through 35, where Jesus is saying that this generation are like children who were like, oh, play us the flute, oh, dance for us, oh, you didn't make us cry. Um, and just whining because, you know, like uh, Goldilocks, this porridge is too hot and this porridge is too cold, right? And that's so often what the world is. They're so coddled and like just pampered and they don't realize that time is short and that we are expecting our great and glorious king who will come with judgment, but who's also coming with a reward for those who are his. Okay, so maybe you agree with me. Scoffing is not the answer, right? But preparing is. And uh, I referenced this in, in that introduction, right? Like he appointed John the Baptist to prepare the way for his first coming. But ladies, what if 
we in this room tonight are the ones that he's appointed to prepare for his second coming. Um, and I want us to turn now to Isaiah chapter 40, just to look at this beautiful prophecy of um, John the Baptist, how he fulfilled it. But again, I think so many prophecies are twofold in their um, fulfillment. And I've got to believe that that same ministry that was appointed to John the Baptist to prepare the way of the Lord is something that his spirit wants to pour out on all of us as we get ready for his second coming. Isaiah chapter 40, this is such a good chapter. If you are in between books in your Devo, um, this is a great, great chapter to just read and study. Otherwise, I'll never tire of inviting you to jump in with us as we read through the Bible uh, as a church together. So they still have those cards. Again, my exhortation to you is just pick up with today's reading. Uh, if you find it too overwhelming, maybe just go through the Old Testament with us or just through the New Testament with us. But it's like three or four chapters. It's pretty doable. So I just encourage you to get in your word and to do so with your brothers and sisters here at church. But Back to the teaching, now to our regularly scheduled program. Um, Isaiah chapter 40, comfort, yes, comfort my people, says your God. And this reminds me of um, every time the rapture is spoken of, especially in 1 Thessalonians, how it's associated with that, that ministry of comfort. That the Lord says, comfort each other with the idea that my return is soon. And here again, in his first coming, when he was talking about John the Baptist, and uh, just that comfort, that ministry of comfort that was associated with his first coming and also with his second coming. Comfort, yes, comfort my people, says your God. Speak comfort to Jerusalem and cry out to her that her warfare is ended and that her iniquity is pardoned, right? So that second promise was accomplished at the cross. But we all know that Jerusalem's warfare hasn't ended. And ladies, neither has our spiritual warfare, but it will one day soon when our king of glory establishes his eternal, everlasting dominion. For she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord and make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be exalted, and every mountain and hill brought low. The crooked places shall be made straight, and the rough places smooth. In verse 5, the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Um, at Christ's first coming, all flesh didn't see his glory. Right, Very few got to see his glory, maybe just those that were present at his baptism, right? The three disciples that went up to the mountain of transfiguration that got to see that brief glimpse of the, the Son of Man's glory. But yet at his second coming, all flesh together is going to see our glorious King. The voice says in verse 6, cry out. And he said, what shall I cry out? All flesh is grass, and all its loveliness is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades, because the breath of the Lord blows upon it. Surely the people are grass. In verse 8, the grass withers, 
the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Ladies, how do we make those crooked places straight? How do we raise those valleys, those impossible mountains that the Lord wants to move into the sea? How do we do it? Well, the word of our Lord stands forever. Get in scripture. Find your identity in what he says about you. Get your political views from scripture. Get your worldview from scripture, right? Get your, your methods, your work ethic, your parenting, your marriage advice. Get it all from his word. And you'll see how those crooked places in your life, they'll get straightened out. Those high places, those prideful areas, they're going to be brought low. Those valleys, those moments of despair and sadness and anxiety, the Lord's going to raise you up out of them when you are found in his word that endures forever. And all flesh will see it, right? Because it's going to be his glory shining through you in those areas of your life that need it most. Oh, I want to keep reading this chapter. It's so good. It's such a good chapter. Um, just 31 prophecy-packed, promise-filled verses. Um, so again, how do we prepare the way? Through the word of God. His word does not just contain twofold promises, twofold applications or warnings and the like. It has everything we need for life and godliness. As a matter of fact, uh, we'll close tonight going to um, Psalm 104. Psalm 104. Um, I also wanted to look at Colossians 3, um, but you could just jot that down. That'll be extra credit. Colossians 3 has this beautiful promise uh, that we have died and our life is hidden in Christ. And those of you that have heard me share, you know that whenever I talk about our identity as women, I love the fact that God hid it in his son because it's so dear and precious to him. But verse 4 says, when Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Ladies, make Christ your life. Uh, Psalm 104, verse 24. It's just neat how the Lord um, strung together these thoughts, these verses um, in my heart in preparing this idea that we go from twofold to manifold. Right? It goes from just twofold, like, okay, mercy and truth, and his second coming, part A, the rapture, part B, his kingdom, to now the manifold truth of his word. And Psalm 104, verse 24 says, O Lord, how manifold are your works. In wisdom you have made them all. The earth is full of your possessions. And you can jump down to verse 29. And see if this sounds like something, right? Because I never noticed how this psalm sounds a lot like something we were talking about earlier. Verse 29, you hide your face, they are troubled. You take away their breath, they die and return to their dust. You send forth your spirit, they are created, and you renew the face of the earth. May the glory of the Lord endure forever. May the Lord rejoice in his works he looks on the earth, and it trembles. He touches the hills, and they smoke. 
I will sing to the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praise to my God while I have my being. May my meditation be sweet to him. I will be glad in the Lord. May sinners be consumed from the earth and the wicked be no more. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Praise the Lord. I never noticed in Psalm 104 how many end-like apocalyptic descriptions it contained. And yet that's how manifold his works are. That even here the psalmist and whatever it was he was facing had this sense that one day it was all going to be made right. And not just his situation, right? He doesn't just talk about like, let my enemies so-and-so and so-and-so, oh yeah, and that other guy that helped him, let them be consumed from the earth. No, he talks about all the wicked and the sinners, those that have been corrupted, those that have, you know, stolen the innocence from children, those that have taken advantage of the elderly, those that have led cults, those that have taught, you know, false teachings from pulpits for the sake of gain of financial monetary lucre you know like the lord is gonna judge all of this he's gonna make it right sinners will be consumed the earth is gonna be trembled the hills will smoke he's gonna take the world's breath away because of the sin because of everything wrong that has gone on how manifold are his works charles spurgeon had this to say about this chapter, specifically verse 24, thinking of the manifold works of God in creation. Um, it says, God is the great worker and ordainer of variety. Variety. It is ours to study his work, for they are great, and sought out of all of them that have pleasure therein. The kingdom of grace contains as manifold and as great works as that of nature, but the chosen of the Lord alone discern them. In wisdom that has made them all, or wrought them all, they are his works wrought by his own power, and they all display his wisdom. It was wise to make there, none could be spared. Every link is essential to the chain of nature, wild beasts as much as men. Poison as truly as odiferous herbs. They are wisely made. Each one fits its place, fills it, and is happy in so doing. As a whole, the all of creation is a wise achievement. And however it may be checkered with mysteries and clouded with terrors, it all works together for good. And as one complete harmonious piece of workmanship, it answers the great worker's end. The earth is full of thy riches. It is not a poorhouse, but a palace, not a hungry ruin, but a well-filled storehouse. The creator has not set his creatures down in a dwelling place where the table is bare and the buttery empty. He has filled the earth with food and not with bare necessities only, but with riches, dainties, luxuries, beauties, treasures, in the bowels of the earth are hidden mines of wealth, and on her surface are teeming harvests of plenty. All these riches are the Lord's. We ought to call them not the wealth of nations, but thy riches, O Lord. 
Not in one climate alone are these riches of God to be found, but in all the lands. Even the Arctic Ocean has its precious things which men endure much hardness to win. And the burning sun of the equator ripens a produce which flavors the food of all mankind. If his house below is so full of riches, what must his house above be? Where the very streets are paved with gold, exceeding clear and fine. If his house below is so full of riches, what must his house above be? Where the very streets are paved with gold, exceedingly clear and fine. I ask the, the worship team to come up and um, close us just in singing that song again, um, Psalm 46, Lord of Hosts. Ladies, I don't know um, what you faced this week. I don't know what struggle or temptation maybe you overcame. And I want to rejoice with you in the victories that the Lord gave you. Um, but I also want to weep with you in maybe some of the hardships and the struggles that you had to face. But more than myself wanting to ministry, minister to you in those areas, the Lord was with you through them all. And he is coming. You know, not just in, in like a presence of heart, but like in a physical presence, like he's coming and he's going to make the world right. And I just pray that our hearts would be right for his coming. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your promise to return. God, we thank you that not one word, not one promise has ever failed. God, how much more your promise to come and to judge and to reward and to restore all of creation to you. God, help us be um, those that prepare the way, God, those forerunners of your coming. In your name I pray, amen.